welcome to Conversations Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Sayo Nickerson. We hope that you will join Brandon, Victoria, and I as we aim to make sense of the past, age-old mysteries, and historical figures through mediumship, where we chat with beings or spirits on the other side who have a story to tell. If you are curious about history and our world and always wish that you could talk to someone from the past, then this podcast is probably going to be quite interesting for you. Prepare to be fascinated and intrigued. We certainly are. We never know where it's going to go, and we hope that you will come along for the ride. Welcome to our second episode. This one was very exciting for me because uh, when I was first chatting with Brandon about this idea that I had, I was really wanting to be able to interview historical figures like, you know, kings and queens. And, you know, there's so many unanswered questions throughout history. I love the idea of being able to talk to people in the past and then ask them the questions that, you know, historians are debating about or like, you know, having different theories and opinions as to how it actually was than to bring out the actual, you know, soul or person or spirit that was living that life and get their impression. Um, So this was the first time that we actually brought through a known historical figure. And um, when we first sat down with Vic and talked to her about this, she wasn't sure if that was possible because mediums generally work for a, a person, an individual, and then they'll bring up the, the people or they'll channel, I guess, your relatives or people that have passed on that want to speak to you. And so we knew that in theory, it's possible to speak to a king of England, for example, but we didn't know if we actually could. So that was first time meeting with the royals sitting across the table. So that was really cool. Um, I have to say I was like a bit intimidated by it. And um, again, working on asking um, more direct and, and, and tougher questions. But it was just exciting trying to follow it along and, and see how much of it matched up with what I had read about it. And I didn't read anything about it. So that was... What's it's an interesting word? contrast. Yeah, well, it's... So I didn't do any research on it. Uh, so I came as a clean slate. And I didn't know really what to ask or who they really were or where they, what time period they were in history or anything like that. So what I ended up doing is just kind of going, just asking questions I would normally ask anybody. And, and so to me, it actually helped. It made it feel more real, like I'm actually talking to, even though I was, but it felt like I was really talking to somebody right across the table from me other than Vic. And again, Vic is our medium. What was really fun is I don't know how it came up. But we talked about numerology. So I'm a numerologist. One of the things I do is numerology. And it kind of matched. The numerology of these two matched. And it was great because I didn't know one king was any better than the other king, as in loved by the people and not loved by the people. And then what was really neat is we got to get a message from these two kings about the current king, King Charles. So... It was really interesting. We really enjoyed it, and we hope that you do too. We've just had some big news this past week, which is the passing of Queen Elizabeth II after 70 years reigning um, over a lot of the world, actually, right? Yeah, do you want to talk about how that was for you and then what we thought we would talk about today? Yeah, so for me... And I don't have the news apps on my phone anymore because I just don't like being a part of that. But I was scrolling through social media and saw 
the Queen died. And I felt an instant moment of shock. And I wouldn't say I'm someone who personally is very attached to the royal family or the Queen, like, um, consciously. But I guess being brought up in Britain, that is a huge part of um, my life and my history. And I did feel this deep sadness. Um, and also just energetically, this whole moment of, like, history and back and forth and the future, the past, the present, and just seeing the bigger picture of what this means. And it's something I really want to look at and and how the end of the Queen's reign and now moving into Charles III is perhaps going to play out um, and affect everyone. Okay. And so how do we, how do you want to go about that? Hmm. Looking at these, like, see what, exploring it further, what does that look like? I feel to look to the future, there's a need to look to the past. As we all know, patterns and loops play out. Like that's the nature of life. And I just feel there's something really poignant in Charles III. He's the third one with that name. And there is something really significant Can there. you um, explain who Charles III is for us who don't really know? Okay. <laughs> so, King Charles III is the king who has taken the place of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. So, what, he's been king... Well, a few days yeah. now, really. Not even a week. a week. Yeah. And I believe he is... He has waited the longest, I don't know what to use that, um, to become king. So he's, I think he's 73 years old. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's waited a long time for this role. The eldest son of Elizabeth and Philip. And yeah. when you go into the past, what are, you going, what are, what are we going to expect? Are you... Um, when you say you want to go to the past mm-hmm. in order to uh, understand what our future holds, what are you thinking of going into Charles's past? Uh, what, the current Charles yes, the third? Yes, um, Charles III. No, I'm feeling more King Charles the first and the second. Okay. Like, thrown it way back. Well, okay. let's do that then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whether that will be through those kings themselves coming through or someone else from that time who has something do you to, know, to share. Do you know, for our millions of listeners, <laughs> do you have, um, can you give us a little bit of history of Charles I and Charles II, Charles I and Charles II? I feel II. like I should let you <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so you did some research. Yes. I did so no research. Charles I was born in Scotland, and... Um, his father, uh, I think, I believe his father's the one who took over from Elizabeth I. Okay. Uh, it might have been his father, but anyways, it's pretty close to Elizabeth I who died childless. And so his uh, father was king of Scotland, England, and Britain. Is that how they say it at the time? There's like three things. <laughs> I really should know this. I studied it. I don't know. Um, yeah, and then um, there's a lot of religious... Uh, tensions yeah. at the time between the Protestants and the Catholics and the, you know, the, the people really didn't want him to marry a Catholic, but he was going to try to marry the princess out of Spain, but then that didn't work out. And he ended up marrying a French princess. And, um, and then there was like all this tumultuousness or what do you, tumult, uh, within his reign, like there was a bunch of like different little wars, like this bishops were, and it was all like kind of over this religious issue. 
And then there was the English Civil War that his army fought the army of the Scottish and English parliaments. So the parliaments had their own army and they fought and then he lost. And Charles I lost. Charles I lost, was put in jail, and then the government, like there was no more monarchy. Is this in the and 1800s? Then, 1600s. Oh, 1600s. And then the, the monarchy was restored after his death in 1660. Um, so when he first died, his son, Charles II, tried... So they're directly related, Charles I and II. And then Charles II tried to um, put up a bit of a fight to try to take back the throne, and he lost. And so then he escaped to the mainland, and he was in Europe for nine years, I think it was. And then... Um, well, and then that's when Cromwell was ruling, and then they tried oh, to have something with Cromwell's son, but he was no good, and so in the end, I think they decided to bring back the monarchy, and so they invited Charles II back to England to become the king. Cromwell is the one who defeated them, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. and, um, and then he was like a, a quite beloved king, I think, because who, by... Cromwell? No, the king Charles II. Because Cromwell was okay, yeah, yeah. King Charles II. Um, whereas King Charles I, I think he was a very sickly child, um, like really sickly, but then I guess he outgrew it and then he became quite competent later on. And, but who knows what that does to someone's brain and their ego and yeah. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he was quite, uh, considered to be very autocratic. Um, like the way he believed in the divine right, divine right of kings. And he didn't like he didn't think the people should have any say mm -hmm. in governance. That that was his job. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of conflict over that, and then over the religious stuff. And like his whole reign was full of conflict and controversy. Mm -hmm. Also, wanting to bear in mind that this version of history is what we're taught. Yes, and may not necessarily be the truth. Yeah, um, but this is what we've come to know. That's what Wikipedia has to say yes. <laughs> about it. And we know, well, anyways, there's some issues. Who can edit Wikipedia? <laughs> yeah, who look who is Wikipedia? Yes, yeah. and I don't have a lot of faith in some of their reporting these days. But, yeah, so do you want to, I'll just let you then see maybe who wants to come in from that time and can shed some light on the entire situation. Okay. I have some questions, is that okay? Yeah. Um, so King Charles III, so his mom was Elizabeth. Who was his father? So Philip was Prince of Greece and Denmark, but then I believe renounced those titles to marry Elizabeth. Okay. And then became <laughs> And also I don't know the facts and ins and outs of this, but the the lineage of the royal family is not direct. Like I don't even know if Queen okay. Elizabeth is even related to these children. That's why I'm just not Okay, that's why it's not making too much sense to me but now I understand yeah and throughout history it's taken a lot of forks on the road okay. and it's not a smooth path and there's a bunch of different kingdoms too you know yeah. like the Scottish kingdom and then like that like the the one who succeeded Charles II he's known as King James II and Fourth, because like in Scotland there'd been other Jameses yeah. and in England so like he didn't he was you know it's all mixed up they're all related to all the different monarchies all over Europe like his mother's French it's very interesting, actually. It's hard to keep track of, which is, yeah. I'm sure, totally wrong on so many things I've said, even just in trying to recall what it what? details are. Okay. So, yeah, I'll just tune in and see who wants to come in, but I feel like immediately that we're going to go to the past first. Let's see. Okay, anyone from the era of Charles I? 
you step forward. Okay, immediately I feel a male presence and um, they feel very aristocratic, so they definitely feel like they're high up. Wondering if it's Charles himself. I do feel that he's had something to say because ever since I found out the news about the Queen, I could deny, I could just feel him there. Um, and I felt such a strong pull to talk to him. And I know that his reign was very controversial and his role as king. Oh, do you guys have any questions, actually? I want to know if he has anything that he wants to say about all this. Let me just see how he's presenting himself first so I can get a better connection with him. I do see him as um, standing quite tall, not necessarily physically, but there's this air about him that's kind of like this royal king regal. Um, but there is like this um, presentation from him that feels very... He wants to present himself in a certain way, but it doesn't necessarily feel like the strength that's coming through is like an actual truthful inner strength. It's like, this is how I need to present myself. It's trying to look good. Yes, but I do sense like a slight weakness there. I hear him saying like the stories aren't all true. I don't I doubt believe that's... that. <laughs> History is written how it wants to be written. What are the stories that in his mind are not true that he would like everyone to know about? Okay. There's something about him ruling absolute. So I know there's that story that we were talking about of him. Um, did he shut down Parliament or whatever? And yeah, he dissolved Parliament. Yeah. And, and then, then ruled on his own for like 11 years. Yeah. Okay, there's something, something there he wants to talk about. What is it? The word loneliness is coming to me. But he doesn't feel like he would ever admit that he was lonely. He doesn't feel like there's a real depth of emotion or connection. Was he emotions. alone a lot then, rather than lonely? No, he, he doesn't feel like he ever was physically like alone. There would have always been people around him. It feels like he had his close people. Um, but there's a, a grander sense of loneliness um, and disconnection. Was he coerced to shut down Parliament, or was this his, his idea? He doesn't really feel like someone who could be coerced. He feels more... He just feels like, energetically, he has like a direction. And I almost see him like rising up, and then his close people around him, like almost at his feet, like in a circle around him. So he is the leader. He's the person who gives the orders and the person who... Yeah, he definitely has council and um, it feels like there were probably points where council maybe tried to like pull him down a bit and say are you sure you want to do this but ultimately he he ruled the roost and what was hit what was it he was striving for like it sounds to me like when you say that that he had a very like clear purpose maybe in yeah. his mind yeah there's a vision there's a he has a vision of the direction he wants um, the country to go in his kingdom this what direction would he want I'm, I'm kind of hearing like there was so much weakness in the people before me and it's interesting that I felt him presenting himself as actually weak underneath um, but he tried to have this strength he doesn't want to be seen as weak mm. and so I feel like there's an overcompensation that would make sense yeah 
And honestly, I don't even actually know if he knows where he's headed or what his vision is. But he, there's this feeling like he needs to fight to prove something or to be the best. Is that because he was ill growing up? Okay, let's see if he wants to talk about his childhood. There's going to be some resistance. It feels like there's some doubt there from other people around him of, like, firstly, whether he would survive, what that would mean for him growing up, but there's, like, this... The people around him, not necessarily maliciously, but drilling into him that he was weaker, so he was made to feel weak. Does he know why they would do that? It feels just a product of the time. Like, if you're seen as sick, then it's a weakness. Well, I think I failed to mention that he had an older brother who was the heir to the throne who died at 18, and he was considered very capable, and he was taller. And he's also, I think, six years older than him. Okay. And he really looked up to him and wanted to be him. Yeah, it's very interesting. And now I'm like being thrown forward in history and thinking about the more current times where when there's two people who's like with William and Harry and Elizabeth and Margaret, like there's there seems to be like um natural bickering between the two, but there there is a hierarchy there because one is destined to rule. The next in line. Yeah, and the other is in their shadow constantly. That's gotta be the strangest dynamics yeah. in a family. Can you imagine? Yeah. Must be horrid. And then, yeah, your older sibling basically is in charge of not only the children, but also, like, the whole country, their parents. Like, they are the head of the family and the country. So how did Charles feel about that with his brother? I feel like the loneliness goes back there, too. It almost feels like I could see him, like, left in a dark room and other people outside were, were living. And perhaps his brother was being raised to be someone great. And he was kind of left there, like... So he was in the shadow. He was yeah, the shadow. Yeah, yeah, in the darkness, like, literally and metaphorically, it feels. And I've, ooh, I feel... I want to say I feel sad, but I'm not allowing myself to feel sad. It's more um, a bitterness and an anger. I feel from Charles, like, there's no way he ever let himself feel that sadness and pain. And it feels like it just bottled up. And there's this, like, real... Yeah, anger there. So he was never looked at as um, strong like his brother? No, yeah. And so he was probably trying to, or maybe you could ask him, was he trying to emulate or show the world that he was as strong as his brother? I'm hearing, I want to be someone completely different. Okay. It's like a complete, it's like going around it. It's not, okay, I'm going to be like my brother. It's going to be, I'm going to be someone completely different. And I'm the boss, and And I'm going to show show you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, When he was a child, he was left behind in the care of someone while the whole rest of the family lived somewhere else. And then at one point, he was able to, like, walk a certain distance, like the length of the throne, I don't know what. And they decided, okay, he's fit enough now to rejoin the family. Wow. So I could see how that would be really tough. Yeah. And needing to prove himself there, like, getting that permission of rejoining the family. And then this, almost like this will to live and fight. Like, I must stay at this level and improve. I can't dip back down. So there's, like, this inner holding intention of, like, needing to keep getting better. Hmm. And I could see how that would make you kind of 
a bit, uh, you know, intractable in terms of like you've decided something and someone says no, you'd just be like, no, we're doing it my way. I said yeah. so. I guess that's a question I have is, you know, what I read was that he, you know, wholeheartedly believed in the divine, divine right of kings and didn't have much faith in the common person to be able to make up their minds or, or you know, choose their lives for themselves. Did he actually believe that or was that just a convenient tool? I do kind of sense like a grandiose sense of self in him. I can also see the, and feel the pain underneath it. But the way he presents himself, it's like I'm seeing it as, as this like thin layer, like there's this mask underneath this like the real him and what he really feels. I don't think he ever really connected to that, but like his his sense of self is very thin. Mm. Um, but answering your question now, I do feel in that grandiose sense of self, almost like modern day, you'd say narcissism or narcissistic tendencies. I think you would be so convinced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Does he feel like he fulfilled on what his like purpose was during that lifetime? Like speaking more on, a, on, on his a soul, soul level? Okay. That's always interesting. Because when they come through, they do tend to come through very much as the people they lived as. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to think, oh, when spirit comes through, they'll come through as their like soul so evolved like itself. Yeah, but... Yeah, higher self. Not necessarily. I, I tend to find it's the opposite. So it's like, can we connect mm. up to that version? Yeah, and the more I'm, I'm watching mediums, um, that's exact same thing that they're saying. And sometimes they'll have to separate the personality and have the higher self talk. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be interesting thing to do right now. So if we connect up to Charles I's higher self and soul where may the answers differ so please repeat your question does he feel like on a soul level that he fulfilled and what and what was his purpose in that lifetime and does he feel like he fulfilled on it and would he have done anything different i immediately see himself hanging his head in shame mm. and many people think that as a soul you don't have um earthly emotions that are necessarily negative but it feels like when he passed over, a lot of time was needed to heal this lifetime. I feel a lot of heaviness in my chest, which symbolizes, again, like shame, guilt, and just a weight, like, oh. And him, I'm seeing him needing people to come around him, perhaps members of his soul family to, like, Help support him. him. Yeah. And that also looks very similar to the image I had of him as king and then his advisors and counsel around him. Um, perhaps they were members of his soul family in that lifetime. Hmm. Um, what specifically does he regret? Okay, Disconnection. How he allowed himself to become so bitter. Instead of transmuting that pain for good, it's like he bottled it up and poured that all over his kingdom really mm. and the people also well aware that at that time I doubt there would have been any mental health support or <laughs> wasn't even a thing so tools wise he had very little and, and back then it really feels like people do just become a product of their childhood and environment growing up it feels like there's very little way around that unless you happen to be a very evolved soul 
that was able to go through those things and transmute it into love. But I don't feel that he necessarily had that. He like turned it into being a tyrant. Tyrant feels like a strong word. He didn't unite his people and instead caused a rift. Disconnect. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm I'm kind of hearing and seeing that. Um, I mean, there's free will, of course, and whichever way history moves and life plays out, like then there's um, opportunity there for the next person, the next generation, to heal that rift, um, and that will be somebody else's lesson. So he's almost placed a lesson there for the next person mm-hmm. to do differently or do the same. Or a lesson to everybody on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel like there's something, there's something else there from his higher self. What else would you like to say? So I'm seeing the heaviness, the shame. Okay, now I feel like he's moving forward in time and he wants to talk about the present king, Charles III. It feels like it, well, he wants it to be like there's another opportunity for unification because I see since the Queen's death there have been varying degrees of um, opinion about the monarchy's role in the world and the royal family in general and it does feel like a time where people could split like the divides could become even deeper and it's like Charles has a duty here to somehow unite that but he's like, don't make the same mistake of doing it by force. Or that people need to, like people need to get over something or people need to heal something. It's like giving the space for people to be angry about what has happened. Because back then, it feels like no one really had the space to be angry about the division. It was like uh, all the energy was put into fighting. And the king says, so that's what goes. So he's hoping that Charles III will be more compassionate and maybe like try to hear all the, all the people's points of view and then find a way that he can sort of bring them into unison. Yeah. Sounds like also to not make the same mistakes as mm-hmm. Charles I made. I do get like a horrible feeling in my stomach though. And I'm just being reminded that, oh, this feels horrible. And it makes me feel emotional that within the royal family, like... We have to remember the time that the era that Charles is brought up in, like the present Charles. And though this may not be presented to the public, there are very archaic beliefs and traditions in this family. And it feels like a deep question of like, how many of those beliefs does he still hold? Again, transmuting into love. Because it seems like a lot of it's also um, the institution of the monarchy, at least from watching The Crown. Mm-hmm. It was e- even the Queen's kind of at the mercy of the institution. Yeah. And so I guess the question would be, because I don't think in Charles the first time, he he was the institution, mm-hmm. right? Who runs the institution now? Well, that's the thing. It's like the deep state or like a version of that. You know, it's just these like lifelong monarchists, bureaucrats really oh. yeah that run it and there's all these rules and there's all this thing it's a very heavy oppressive yeah it doesn't feel like that much has actually shifted like there are laws that are so archaic and old that they still live by just because yeah and and that's kind of where my point was was that um the present charles i don't know how much of that he's let go of and how much is really drilled into him and also 
how much he's been, even if he wanted to, allowed to let go of. But the sense I get is I don't feel much is going to change in his brain. Is there a message that Charles the First would like to tell Charles the Third? I want to speak to his higher self on this because I don't know what his human self would say. Um, I've, do you know what? Here it feels like we move forward to Charles the Second. Oh yeah? Yeah. Tell us about Charles the Second. Okay, thank you Charles the First. You may come back to you but step aside for now. Okay, Charles the Second, please step forward. I already feel a more lighter energy. It feels like there's more of a, like a springiness to him. Um, which is interesting if his father was that heavy energetically. Even strangely, I'm being drawn to the number two, and I know you're into numerology. Um, what is number two? Well, I just, there's something about the number two that feels lighter than number one. Well, number one is the, is more of a selfish. Okay. Or, or self-mastery number. It's all about it's all about me. I'm a one. <laughs> I'm not a one, but that's what I want. Um, yeah. In order for a one to... I mean, ones are great. Ones are wonderful people. Um, um, and also they can be, like everybody else, not wonderful people at times. Um, but the one's goal is self-mastery, to learn as much about um, him or herself as possible. And number two is female energy. Okay. Uh, one is very masculine, two is very feminine. Um, that's all about love, peace, and unity, and um, bringing people together and um, getting along with people. Um, they usually also are kind of in the background, um, but in the background, they're the ones that are kind of, okay, you're good at this, you're good at that. Here, let's, here let, me, let me help you with this, let me help you with that. They're, they're just a really good um, community-oriented number. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's a lot of negative things with twos, just like there's a lot of negative things with ones, and there's a lot of uh, positive things with ones, just like there's a lot of positive things about twos. So, um, it's just which part of the energy is he going to be in favor of? Is he more of like, okay, I'm going to bring in the positive energies of the two, or the negative energies of the two? It's like with any number. Yeah. So, yeah. So, with a two, um, if he's on the positive energies of the two, he'd probably want to have more of a unifying nation, more mm-hmm. of um, helping uh, the common person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like Elizabeth II. She mm-hmm. is a two. Very right? true. And Elizabeth I was very much in her own. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what about, what's a three? So Charles III. Um, Charles III, uh, um, that's the, what they're really... If you tell a three their numerology, they're usually the ones that says, oh, that's not me. Um, a three is somebody who um, craves attention. A three is somebody who wants to be in the limelight. A three is somebody who um, um, is, a, is usually in the entertainment, loves entertainment, loves entertaining, loves being the laugh of the crowd, all that stuff. Um, there's a lot of me, me, me with a three, but they're the most sensitive number. So you tear a three down, they're going to feel it the most out of any number. Mm-hmm. It's like cutting their heart open if you say mm-hmm. something negative about them. And so they're also, because they're so sensitive, they're also one of the most intuitive numbers, most poetic, most, um, uh, they're a communication number. They're able to speak in ways that people can really hear and can really um, get people motivated to do things. Mm-hmm. So, um, the negative part of the three is drama. They want to bring up drama. 
Um, sometimes it's, um, I mean, all numbers have this stuff, but threes usually thrive in bringing up drama. Um, a lot of the actors and actresses are threes, <laughs> according to the books I've read. And um, the positive thing about threes is they bring the joy and the laughter to a party. They're, they're the best ones to put on parties, but they will wallow in their own misery more so than most other people because they enhance any positive or negative thing that comes to them. So, mm-hmm. like, they're very, good, they're very good at exaggerating. And they're also very good at exaggerating the negative. Cool. Again. That's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It, and it's... To do, to do actual his number is different than just saying Charles III. Yeah, of course. Of but, course. Yeah, yeah. But there is something in it that feels like there's truth there. And interesting in the shift from Charles I to Charles II, connecting to them and the energetic feeling, it makes sense what you say about number one and two and the meanings behind those numbers. Is, um, I don't really know about Charles II history. Is there, can you tell us a little bit more? Um, well, just what I don't, I don't know a ton either. I think like he was in exile, um, and then invited back to become the king. And then he was like one of the most beloved kings. Oh, he was? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I'm not sure why that is. Mm. But um, is there anything that he wants to say? It feels like there's something in that of like being drawn back in, being invited back. Um, There's this opening of like acceptance and desire. Um, Whereas his father was was very much like people against him. Um, And a lot of conflict in that time. So this feels more like, oh, there's a welcoming back. There's love. Like there's a foundation of more love there energetically and that feels like it provides a nice base to for them to, uh, to him and build upon it totally makes sense yeah yeah just feels like a much more expansive time is there anything he wants to say <laughs> i feel like he wants to speak to his father um and his his reign it's interesting do you know happen to know whether much of Charles's the second's childhood was spent away from his father. I don't know. Okay, that would be something to look into. My guess would be yes. There's something there, because um, I'm like almost trying to connect the dots of like how could you be so different? Because I sense now, Prince Philip and King Charles the third, there's a lot there that's like been passed down, because I feel like they had a closer relationship and time was spent together. Um, my, I'm gonna get to my question, but mm-hmm. my father was raised pretty horribly, and he was raised by a drunk, and um, a lot of bad things happened to him. So he, as a teenager, thought, okay, if I have children, I'm not gonna te- treat my children like this. I'm gonna treat them better. Mm-hmm. That's 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 simply that's simply what he said. And so, um, is that possibly what? Charles II thought about Charles I's king or reign as a king. Mm, it's interesting. I'm wondering what he would have been taught. Okay, let me just ask him directly. It's interesting. I don't feel any like hatred towards him. You know, from Charles II to his father, Charles I. I don't feel like this and, shunning of him. And what about the he saw what happened during, or he knows what happened during. Charles first reign is that why he did his kingship a different way? Feels like perhaps it could be something to do with his mother. Do you know who his mother was? She was the French 
princess. Okay. I think he was quite close to his uncle, who was like the king of France. There's just something in who he grew up around. And okay, so Charles the First obviously grew up sickly, and it feels like he was left in the dark on his own a lot, um, disconnected from the family. Whereas Charles II feels as though I, I see such contrast between the dark and the light, mm. like the space for him. Um, and it feels like he received more love from other people. There are more influences in his life directly. So he was nurtured better. And I know we can also just naturally like um, take on our parents' behaviours and stuff, but there's, there's something there where he was able to move away from a lot of that pain because of love and different influences he received from other people in his life growing up. I'd be interested to after look into this and, mm -hmm. and see. I don't think I got to the section that has like early life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like getting tired by then because I wish I'd read it now. Yeah. But, um, but it's also interesting because I think he was very, like he grew up sort of with the Catholic side of his family and then he was very much a moderate, like, They wanted him to be stricter with the Catholics um, back in England. Who wanted him? The Protestants. But he was very much like inclusive. Like, no, everybody, you know, he's, he was pretty lenient as far as mm -hmm. letting people practice the religions that they wanted mm -hmm. to. I think probably because of that. And that's maybe why people liked him. Because they weren't, he wasn't trying to force people to do something they didn't want to do, perhaps. Yeah. Hmm. And... Um, Are there any parallels, I guess, with Charles II and the current Charles III or anything that he wants like, to pass down to him? Hmm. Still seeing the contrast between the first and second and like how that translates to the third. Because it's such a long period of time in between. like It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but so much of my attention is being drawn to upbringing and I can't, I can't quite move away from that. Mm. So I feel like there's more there. Okay. Um, it just feels like there are choices of whether you can I mean your childhood obviously affects you so much um, but when you become an adult there's then a choice of whether you move away from that but I don't know to what extent the current Charles has been allowed to do that um, because being um, first in line to the throne just feels like you're watched so closely and you're like moulded into this person And it feels so restrictive. And it even feels like thinking outside of that would have to happen in so much secrecy. It's almost so his children. Charles one, is, yeah, which Charles III. Okay, yeah. Um, Harry and. William. Well, I should know this. <laughs> um, I'm actually not very good with names. So Harry and William, Harry seems to have gone outside of that system. Yes. I don't know how far. William seems to be still in that system. Um, uh, William lives in England, and uh, what Canada is where Harry's at. It's in the U.S. I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. So North America. So, what would the higher self of Charles II say about those differences between Harry and William, and how? Yeah, how that's going to potentially affect the throne. I've been feeling a sense of this the whole time we've been doing this interview and I really want to speak to it, is that, again, it's like the men in this family, like Philip to Charles to William, to such a similar, like William does feel like he has 
a slight breaking away from tradition, but not really. And I know we don't know the ins and outs of his and Harry's relationship, but it it feels like there's a lot of conflict there because of Harry choosing, perhaps even speaking up um, about the archaic nature of the royal family and the monarchy, and um, William doesn't want to see it. That's my sense. Mm. Um, and it's it's interesting how you can see it throughout history in the royal family. It's easier for the younger sibling to break away because that pressure's not there. Yeah. They don't need to be this picture of perfection. And have been molded their whole lives to be a certain way yeah. and all that stuff. You can see it in William mm-hmm. that he's like, I have to. This is my job. Yeah. Like, I think he's like his, his grandma in that way. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe there's a bit more bitterness with Prince Charles. I don't know. I just feel like maybe a bit of bitterness there about, you know, first of all, having to wait 73 years to be the king and always being under his mother's wing or shadow or, yeah. you know. And then and then now finally having the power and then being a bit old. Well, I see that also coming from Philip. Because as a man, yeah. the queen's husband is like, I'm the man, I'm the leader of the family, but actually she is, my wife is. And I want to have some kind of like assertiveness and like control, but I can't, because that's not my place. Mm-hmm. And then for Charles as well, man of the family, but his mother <laughs> lived for so long that he didn't get to be king until now. So I'm wondering how that will play out. Mm. Because it's like this, oh, finally... Yeah, but, oh, um, that's a bit scary. Um, yeah, I've just been waiting for so long to have this moment to be the man. Yeah, because I think Philip really struggled with that, at least according to the crown. Yeah. In his younger years, when they were first married, he really struggled about like even the kids having his last name, mm-hmm. and he he wasn't given that, mm-hmm. and like all these things that are like really belittling to a man or unmanning, I guess. Yeah, especially of that era. Yeah. Um, and having like you know served in the war and stuff and then you choose love and your titles are stripped away and you kind of become less important in a way just the consort Mm -hmm. never the king yeah yeah that's a very interesting dynamic um so what do these um past charleses (laughs) think about what's in store for us now in the coming years it's almost like charles the third can choose one of the paths of each Charles, first and second. Right. Although I know it would be very different because I, it probably wouldn't even be possible for Charles III to have the kind of rule that Charles I had. Like, we're not really in that space anymore. Mm. But the attitude. Yeah. The strength of the first and the mm-hmm. compassion of the second. Mm-hmm. I also want to draw attention to... I'd say the majority of people have a lot of adoration for the Queen, um, Elizabeth II. And how that's going to have effect on Charles III, being compared to his mother. And he doesn't have that long, in theory, to have an impact like she did. Um, and even personality-wise, you look at the two, it's almost like, I'm not trying to be mean to Charles, not that he'd ever listen to this, but Elizabeth seemed more bright, more, you know, a little bit more light. <laughs> and Charles seems kind of like he's in sludge. He's kind of like... Mm. there's something about him that seems like he's always had a lot on his shoulders or a lot on his mind or um, something that brings his, kind of dims his own light. 
Mm-hmm. There's something there, and I, re- I want to tune into him now. Um, there's something about the waiting so long. It's like living life on the edge of your seat. Of like, mm-hmm. when am, am I going to be asked to step step up? When am I going to be asked to be this person? And not ever quite having knowing. Like, yeah, having like the constant anxiety. Yeah. 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 Also, desire though. So of course, you don't want your mother to die, but um, there's like this waiting of. Um, it almost feels like it came as a shock, even though she was ninety six. It's pretty ripe old age. I believe it. But it's like, oh fuck! I've been waiting for so long that I kind of stopped waiting, yeah. and now it's here. Yeah. What do I do? The whole world's looking at me. Like, yeah, it's a huge time to become king. So much division in the world, and for such a figurehead, I know they're not king and queen of whatever of every country, but span across the earth like it's pretty big and you're a figurehead you'll look to Mm. to unite people and if now there becomes more division it's almost going to be blamed on him probably not to say that it would be his fault because really how much power does he actually have but it's it's like this is a time where like history splits Mm, can go one way or another and like i said it's not really on him because what can he actually do but eyes are on him so hard to measure this kind of thing right because it's very subtle it's subconscious in many ways right it's like what is england without the monarchy yeah you know like there's it's big it's Mm -hmm. a huge thing um is it yeah is it i wonder if it's going to be going away soon i've wondered that too (laughs) i've been feeling into it but when i feel into like charles and then william neither of them do I feel a revolutionary energy from? If Harry were to have become king, mm. I feel like things would have changed, but he's renounced his title now, so... Oh, he renounced it? Yeah, I think he, they chose to leave the royal family. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so he wouldn't. Obviously, William's son is very young, and who knows who he's going to grow up to be. Um, but he's being brought up in the folds, just like yes. as the apparent heir... I know. So it's like, where is this shift going to come from and when? I, I, my sense is that they would slowly lose their power because so many countries are becoming more independent now. So it's like bit by bit, country will probably more independence from each country is until they're left with less. So before Queen Elizabeth came in, um, you know, they had India and that was a huge loss. Yeah. Um, and since then, so many. Yeah, with all the small have left. South Pacific countries have left. Yeah. We went through all those. They speak English, but they're not part of the Commonwealth anymore. Yeah. Or maybe they're part of the Commonwealth. I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah they're not directly ruled anymore. Yeah, so really the big players are like UK, obviously, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just feel like slowly they'll become less relevant, but I don't know at what point they would actually. Like, say we're done with the monarchy. It's so ingrained in the it's, culture there. It's everything. That would, I feel like it would ruin England. I mean, that would be the civil war mm. of the modern day, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, I mean, not just with, you know, Charles and his two paths to choose from. I think that's happening everywhere. There's so much division. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can choose to, like, go down that road and get angrier and angrier. Or you can choose unification and 
tolerance and compassion. And I think the whole world is kind of hanging on the brink of these two pathways right now and everybody's having to make a choice. Mm-hmm. So which way are you going to go and not like not just him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's ex- it is a really interesting mm-hmm. time and it's very interesting that this would happen right now with everything going on. You know, five years ago would have been a completely different story than this yeah. happening right now. And there's so much chaos and uncertainty and, um, yeah, and this constant that we've all had in our lives for so long is now gone. Mm -hmm. So where does that leave everybody? Even if it's just like this little thing in the back of your mind, like I'm Canadian. Um, I was on the stage with the Queen once when my choir for Canada Day and she came. And um, so, you know, it's certainly like a part of my life, too. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, I just, I, I, Charles won't be in for that long because he's of an older age, but it, this, this little span of time feels very important mm-hmm. um, in gaining people's trust or losing it. So, how he chooses to show up and comment on the world's goings on is going to be important, I think. Interesting. The world is watching. Yeah. And it's going to make or break people's trust in the royal family. Wonderful. Anything else we want to talk about? Ask one question. Mm-hmm. What is something? So I want to ask the second. Okay, Charles II. Charles II, his higher self. What is something? A message? Because I want. I want. I want some type of message. Okay. What's a message he can tell the world? Okay. There's something about him, on a soul level, that feels quite evolved. Um, not that there's a hierarchy among souls, but <laughs> whatever. Um, all I feel from him is love. Like, there is so much love emanating from him. And I feel like that would be a whole other topic of looking into, like, Charles II's role and who he is on a soul level. But, uh, yeah, all I feel is love and this desire to unite. And I can feel him, like, spreading love through, like, the timeline of history forward and hoping that his time as Charles II on Earth changed something, did something. There's only so much you could do, and people could change that in the future after him, but there is like a... I see that line of love going from Charles II to Charles III, and it's like, it probably got very diluted along the way, but I hope some of it makes it to him. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That made me a bit emotional. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. It's like this laser beam going forward, and... Is it going to reach there? I hope it does. Yeah. So that's kind of to say, because I know people have so many opinions about the royal family, but like from a soul perspective, I don't feel that all evil or bad or here for poor intention. It feels like some of them have incarnated to be in the royal family to shift humanity and, and life here on earth. And really, there's only so much they could do with the constraints that they had. And I think Queen Elizabeth has done a lot too. That's a whole other that's a whole other chapter, but Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't feel like it's time to go into that. It feels like yeah. too fresh, but this yeah, hundred percent stuff there to look at. Yeah, yeah. There's I mean with every person there's such a long story and yeah. so much going on. Um okay, well shall we wrap it up at at that yeah. point, at this point, and yeah. say thank you very much to both the Charleses yeah, for coming so through. Thank you. <laughs> when you see them do you just see lights, or do you see actual... You mentioned what he kind of looked like the first Yeah, it's, I get like a 
quite almost like an outline and a slight image. I don't know what that image is projected from maybe what I've seen in a picture. Um, so, I mean, I find this really interesting because this is when we first started talking about doing this podcast. We said we want to bring through historical figures mm -hmm. and we didn't know if that would be possible. And you just did it. Yeah. <laughs> How really cool was that? Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I feel like when, for me, there's an emotional connection, like I've always loved social history. I love to know about people, how they felt, how they lived. And this is like the perfect way in when there's actual like meaning behind connecting with them. Mm -hmm. It's funny because um, I said I didn't read about Charles I and Charles II, but about six months ago, um, I was making a character after the life of Cromwell. And so I got to actually read all that stuff that you were talking about. So I was like, oh, so I did read it. So anyway, it was kind of... Somewhere in there. Yeah, it was in there. Anything you want to share about how that experience was for you? It was interesting, the mix of connecting to past people, also tapping into just like collective consciousness or the future or just energy and, and the energy of a person who's still alive um, and a family and a situation and... There is just so much there. I also notice in me a hesitance to like really dive deep because I'm slightly afraid of what I might see. Um, what are you afraid of? Seeing the real darkness of a person. Yeah. It's it's like easier when they're gone. Um, and how life plays out now bears weight on me and my life and with the people I love and everyone here. So. Um, also, I guess partly, and it's the same with history, like how we present ourselves. I remember learning about it, it's called provenance. So like when you read someone's journal, um, did they know that it was going to be read by people in the future? And did that have an effect on what they wrote? So even here, I feel, I know that people will listen to this and watch it. So there is a withholding in me. A bit of a responsibility, maybe. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was super fascinating and... Yeah, and for me, it's like I wish I knew even more, you know? Like, I think I want to just spend more time. But then it's like we don't really know, like, who it so happened. Like, you kind of had a feeling, Char the Charleses. Like, I need to talk to the Charleses. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then I just wish I, you know, spent more than, like, an hour on it, you know? And just understood more and, like, had more specific questions to ask that, would maybe shed a light on, you know, questions in history that haven't been solved or that they don't know. But I think what the value of what you bring is like so apparent to me is uh, just like the intention and the feeling behind it and understanding where they're coming from and who they are mm -hmm. as a person. Because mm -hmm. um, we can't get that no. from a book necessarily. Mm -hmm. You can like feel it. And I find that super valuable. I mean... Yeah, it, I think stuff like that really helps explain why things happened as they did in history if you can understand who that person was emotionally. Mm -hmm. And connecting to their higher self feels like an um, even richer layer. Yeah. Um, because then you can see, like, what did they come here for? Maybe where they succeeded in that and where they failed, how they feel about it, what their purpose was, and just seeing how, like, wow. And sometimes their purpose is to... Do the opposite of good. Yeah. 
yeah. teaches a lesson. And yeah, it's yeah. He had a, an important role in humanity. Often, like the big, the ones that had that much influence, yes. are taking on a really big job when they come here. And they're yeah. painted as evil because perhaps they did do evil. Yeah, and their higher self reason. is not evil. No. Their higher self is here to educate and love and yeah. and help. One of the fastest ways, I think, that we can thrive as a in humanity to be the best we can in humanity is for us to see the worst of humanity. I think it's a it's an evolu- evolutionary leap. Um, I know it seems like you know five thousand years is a long time, but that's just a blink in the eye in in, in history. Mm. And that five thousand years of hell and mayhem can actually we can look at that and be like, okay, we don't want to do that anymore. Let's jump up to the next level. And so I think some souls are here to do that, to bring us down in order so we can jump past them. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. But, <laughs> yeah. but one thing that I wanted to say, because um, I used to run a help co-host to near-death experience groups, and uh, one of my favorite things to ask these near-death experiencers, because there's a support group of near-death experiencers coming together, because at the time, in the 90s, when I was helping with these um, co-hosting these, these people were kind of considered, you know, in their family as being either psychos or there's something mentally wrong because they had this experience that half their family didn't believe or was different from their religious side upbringing. And, and, um, so they supported each other. And what was really cool is they had very similar experiences. And my favorite thing to ask them was the future of humanity or future of this person or that, what were they told? And, and um, a couple of them told me, and even my friend, about William and Harry. And I already told you about Harry, but William, the next in line, they were told he was a light worker. Yeah, that he's actually a good, he would be a good king. Um, so maybe that's, maybe that's true. I don't know. I believe but. there is more of a lightness to him than I feel when I tune into Charles. But like I said, it's like, how much can he break away from how he was raised? And I think once a lot of the older generation of the royal family die off, there'll be space for him to embody that. But right now, it's like he has to be in silence. One of, just coming to one of them was told, and don't take my word on this, that he would be considered a hero to England in the future. So... And I don't know what it is he does. <laughs> he saves a baby from fire or something. <laughs> and he's not like a big hero. Maybe it's like he did something hero- hero- yeah. heroic. So, yeah. I hope he makes that change. I feel like out of anyone, there is potential in him. But who knows when he will become king. I know. Yeah. Now that's the next question. When's yeah. he going to be? He's already been given the title Prince of Wales. Yeah. So Wonderful, guys. That was super interesting and uh, we'll look forward to our next session together.